After taking a bit of a detour over the holidays, we are back in our series through the book of Hebrews. We presently find ourselves in the 11th chapter. Uh, somebody asked me recently, when do you think you'll be done with this series? Uh, they told me they wanted to buy it. They may just have been finding out, you know, how long is this going to take? Uh, you know, I have to say that uh, I'm certainly not intending to rush, especially in this 11th chapter, because there are some insights that we need to get a hold of in this great chapter about faith. Because if there's anything Christians need to understand, we need to understand faith. Christian is born again by faith, grows by faith, walks by faith, lives by faith, and dies in faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Do you ever think about the fact that we base our lives on things we've never seen? I've never seen God. I've never seen Jesus Christ. I've never seen the Holy Spirit. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen hell. I've never seen any one individual who wrote the Bible. I've never seen one original manuscript in the Bible. I've not seen many of the promises God has made to me, and yet I not only bank my life, I bank my eternal destiny upon those things that I have never seen. And that is faith. And the writer of Hebrews wants the Jewish readers and us to understand that that is God's way of doing things. Before we get into this 11th chapter, in chapter 10 and verse 38, he says, the just shall live by faith. Faith is what God requires, and faith has always been what God required. And so here we have a chapter full of examples of faith. In verse 4, we see how Abel came to God by faith, bringing the proper sacrifice. In verse 5, we see how Enoch walked with God. In verse 7, we see how Noah served God, and all by faith. And today we come to the example of Abraham. And Abraham is a strategic example because the Jews traced their lineage back to him. He's the one that they called father. He was the first of their race. He's the one to whom the promises were given. And you, so, so you see, if he can show that Abraham was a man of faith, then he sets the pattern for everybody who comes behind. In fact, it's interesting that more verses in Hebrews chapter 11 are committed to Abraham than to anyone else. And I think there are two reasons for that. Number one, he's such a strategic example the Jews needed to understand that their father, the father of their whole nation, was a man of faith. And I think secondly, his life was such an easy example to trace faith back to. In fact, Abraham's an example that we find many writers using in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen uses Abraham as an introduction to his sermon. In Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham to illustrate the fact that we are justified by faith. And he quotes Genesis 15, 6, where it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When we read in Galatians chapter 3, we find that everyone who comes to God by faith becomes a child of Abraham because he is the father of faith. 
He set the pattern of faith, and when we trust Christ, we really, in that sense, not physically, but spiritually, become His children. And Paul really says the same thing in Romans 4.11. He calls Him the Father of all who believe. And so Abraham is a strategic example of faith, and he's an easy example of faith because it's so obvious in his life. Now this morning, I want us to look at verses 8-10. to where Abraham demonstrates for us the choices of faith. And I've picked out four that all of us face and listed them in your bulletin. Number one is leaving by faith. Notice verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Now, when was Abraham called? Well, we read about it in Genesis chapter 12. Stephen also talks about it in the first verses of Acts chapter 7. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, Go forth from your country and your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, if we go back there and do a little math, you'll find out that Abraham was 70 years old when God called him. Now, that's not quite as old as it is in our time, but he still was not a young man when God called him. Where was Abraham when God called him? Well, Abraham was in a city on the Euphrates River near the Persian Gulf called Ur. It's in present-day Iraq where some of your sons have been and are presently today in Iraq near where Ur was. It's actually a place near where the Garden of Eden was located, if you read Genesis 2, 14. And so Abraham was in Ur, and Ur was a heathen city. You say, well, what was Abraham like when God called him? You know, the rabbis used to teach that, that God looked around the world and found the most righteous guy he could find, and he chose Abraham because he was such a great guy. Well, as I read the Bible, I don't get that indication from the Scriptures. In fact, the, the, the Scriptures indicate to us that Abraham was a heathen idol worshiper when God chose him. In fact, listen to this verse. This is Isaiah 51.1. It says, Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain, for I alone called him and I blessed him and multiplied him. Abraham was not called because he was righteous. Abraham was called because by God's grace, he dug him out of a pit. He called him, blessed him, and multiplied him. So Isaiah says, when you look back as Jewish people to your heritage, you can look back and see that you were dug out of a pit. Joshua 24.2 says, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nabor, and they served other gods. So Abraham was going along with his life in Ur as a heathen idol worshiper, and I love the way Stephen puts it in Acts 7 too. He says, the God of glory appeared to him. Abraham's going along with his heathen idolatrous lifestyle in Ur, and God suddenly becomes a present reality to him. And God says to him, I want you to leave this place and leave your relatives and go to a land that I will show you. 
And what did Abraham do? Well, look at verse 8. It says, By faith he obeyed by going out. Now, Abraham is a beautiful picture to us of every believer. Because when God becomes a present reality to you, when you are first saved, the initial response that God wants is for you to turn away from this world system, to turn away from idolatry, to turn away from the sons of disobedience. Abraham's faith separated him from his former life. And my faith should have the same impact on me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some things are passed away and some things are new. No. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Practical separation from the world is at the beginning of the life of faith. When you come to the Lord, you say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm letting go of those old things. I love what it says about the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. It says they turned to God from idols. Whenever you turn to God, you have to turn from something. You have to let go of something in order to take hold by faith of Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of faith, there is always a letting go. There is always a separation. There is always a leaving by faith. In fact, giving up the old life is one of the greatest obstacles to coming to Christ. And I might add, it's also one of the greatest obstacles for faithful living once we are in Christ. But the beautiful thing is that God makes us new creatures. God gives us desires for new things. I've often said that when I became a believer, it's like God changed the price tags on things. Those things that I valued before suddenly were on the clearance rack. And those things that were all new things in Christ suddenly were very valuable to me. That's the transition God makes in our hearts. Have you heard God's call to you to leave your former life? To leave the old? It's written right in the Scriptures. Listen to it. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Or listen to it in 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. You see, it's basic. At salvation, there is separation. And Abraham is a great example of that. You say, but Dan, it's hard to let go of the old things. I mean, Abraham probably found it easy to leave Ur. I mean, who would want to live in Ur anyway? You know, it's interesting that... Uh, in, in 1854, a guy by the name of J.E. Taylor did excavations in Ur, and more recently in the 1920s, Sir Leonard Woolley was sent out by the British Museum to do uh, large-scale excavations in, in Ur. And they found out that Ur was not a primitive city in Abraham's day. 
In fact, it was a city that possessed an elaborate system of writing, advanced means of mathematical calculations, religious records, refined art treasures, beautiful jewelry, a school system, temples to the moon god. They even discovered a well-equipped kitchen with great ovens made for roasting meat. When God told Abraham to leave Ur, it was like saying, I want you to leave the most civilized area in the world. That's where the world originated. It's like saying, I want you to leave New York City. I want you to leave the most advanced technological city of that day. That's what Abraham left behind. Let me ask you something. What have you left behind by faith? If we put your name in verse 8, by faith, you, when you were called, obeyed by going out from what? You see, the first step of faith is leaving by faith. Second choice is leaping by faith. Notice the rest of verse 8. It says, And he went out not knowing where he was going. God said, I want you to leave Ur, leave your relatives, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I'll show you. And Abraham had no idea where he was going. No, God didn't give him a color brochure. Promised land, inn and sweets. Look at that. Look at the spa. Look at the pool. That looks great. God said, I want you to go somewhere and I'm not going to tell you where it is. But Abraham went anyway. Why? Because he believed God. You see, that's what faith is. Verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And again, that's a perfect example of the Christian Because we have to say, Lord, I don't know where we're going. When you put your hand in the hand of the Lord, I don't know where we're going, but I'm going to follow you on this pilgrimage into a new life that I don't know anything about. Can you imagine what Abraham's neighbors thought when he brought the U-Haul into the neighborhood and started packing up his stuff? And they come over and say, Abraham, where are you going? He says, I don't know. Wait a minute, you're loading up all your stuff and you don't know where you're going. No, I don't know. Well, who told you to go? God. Which God? The only true God. The only true God. Now, what's his name? I don't know his name. Let's see, you don't know his name. You don't know where he's taking you. You don't know when you're going to get there. Do you know why? No. Don't know that either. You know, faith is a hard thing to explain to unbelievers, isn't it? You ever tried to explain your pilgrimage of faith to someone? They don't understand why you're leaving the world behind. When I committed my life to the Lord, I was in Denver, Colorado in a, in a drug situation. Most of my friends thought I OD'd on drugs because their basic philosophy of life 
was do your own thing, grab for the gusto, let your glands be your guide. That was their philosophy of life. So they couldn't understand why anyone would leave that behind. And trying to explain faith to them, trying to explain what God had done in my life, just got some puzzled looks by a lot of people. And of course, I, I didn't have all the answers either. I was concerned. I, I was trusting God to take me somewhere and I didn't know where He was taking me. And I, I've told you this before. My greatest fear was that if I really followed the Lord, He was going to make me a preacher. So I was leaving the old behind. I was leaping, in essence, saying, God, I'm going to trust You that You're taking me somewhere and I really don't have a color brochure. I don't know where we're going exactly, but I'm going to trust You with tomorrow. So Abraham was a man of faith. God appeared to him in a heathen, idolatrous situation. God called him out of that, said, I'm going to take you to a new land. Abraham, by faith, went out not knowing where he was going. And I want to say to you that that is the nature of faith. That's why we call it a leap of faith. Because I leap not knowing exactly where I'm going to land. But I'm trusting God with that. And so, I leave by faith. I leap by faith. What's the third choice? It's living by faith. Look at verse 9. By faith He lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now, faith is not just an initial response. Faith is not just something you did one time when you were eight years old and walked down an aisle. Faith is a lifestyle. You see, Abraham finally got to the promised land and what happened? He didn't receive the promise. He was promised that he would inherit it, but he lived as a foreigner. He lived as a stranger. He didn't even have a house. He lived in tents. He got to the promised land and he lived out of his suitcase. You know, this is the only verse that I can find where Canaan is referred to as the promised land. And the irony is that Abraham never did inherit the land. In fact, I love the way Stephen puts it in Acts chapter 7 and verse 5. He says, God gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. How would you like that? I'm going to take you to a place that you're going to inherit. God takes you, let's say He does it today. I'm going to get, take you to a place you're going to inherit. He goes, you, takes you to Guatemala. And you're living in a camper. And you don't have any ground. You don't own any of it. Can you imagine Abraham calling home on his cell phone to Ur? Did you finally get to that place where you didn't know where you were going? Yeah. Did you inherit it? No. Well, I bet you're buying up lots of land. No. How much do you own? None. Do you have a house? No. Let me talk to Sarah. <laughs> Abraham lived in the land of promise as an alien in a tent for a hundred years. And he died and was buried in the one spot that he owned, 
a cave. In his whole lifetime, he never owned any property in Cana except one place, and that was a burial plot. And then Isaac and Jacob, who were also heirs of the promise, lived in tents as well. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Christian? We live in this world that is really ours. We live in this world that the Bible tells us we will one day rule over with Jesus Christ. But we live in this world as strangers in a foreign land. We are in the world, but not of the world. I love that old song that says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm in this world, but this is not home. My citizenship is in heaven. I was talking to a, a new believer the other day, and, and, and this person was expressing to me how excited they were when they first got saved, and then they realized that along with the Christian life comes some persecution and some difficulties, and everybody is not necessarily as excited as you are about your newfound faith. And, and she was expressing to me that she was kind of restless here, and I said, you know what? That's exactly what we experience as Christians. I'm in a world where I'm really going to inherit it someday, but I don't have it now, and my citizenship is somewhere else. It's in heaven. So I'm here, but I'm not really comfortable here. I'm not settled down here. I'm not at peace here because I'd really rather be home. And so there's a restlessness that comes with faith because we live in a world that is not set up the way God intended it to be set up, and ultimately it will be set up for us. You say, well, Dan, what are you, what are you saying? Should we sell our, all our possessions and, and live in tents? No. In fact, if you look at Abraham, you'll find that he was a very wealthy man. He owned large amounts of livestock. He had many servants. In fact, he had a trained army of 318 men. He's somebody who really got involved in what was going on around him. On one occasion, he took his army and conquered the army that had defeated Sodom and taken Lot. Abraham was well known throughout the land, but Abraham was a stranger. And the reason he was a stranger because he, was because he wasn't at home here. His roots didn't run very deep. His desires were not for the things of this world. God had changed the price tags on things for Abraham. You say, well, what was his secret? How could he live that way? Well, that's choice number four. Looking by faith. Notice verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Literally, because the art, there are two articles in there that, that aren't represented in my translation. It literally reads this way. He looked for the city which has the foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, when you understand that God's city has foundations, then you can live in a tent while you're here. When you're looking at the fact that God has a city for you in the future, then you can have a pretty loose grip 
on real estate in this world today. Abraham was going through life looking for God's city. I like what Jesus said in John 8, 56. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see Jesus' day? Well, he saw it by faith. Where is your focus? What are you looking at? Jesus said in Matthew 6.19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Where are your desires fixed? Are they fixed on heaven? Or are they fixed on this earth? Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. If you're a Christian here today, where are you looking? Where are your thoughts centered? Where is your treasure? You know, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. And I find it very interesting to contrast Abraham with Lot. And I'd like you to let go of Hebrews chapter 11 and go back to Genesis chapter 13. We're told that Abraham was looking for God's city. Notice what it says about Lot in Genesis chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. Abraham's going through life looking for the city of God. Lot is looking at the valley of the Jordan. Look at Genesis chapter 13 and verse 18. It says, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham moved his tents and built an altar to the Lord. In contrast, Notice what it says about Lot in chapter 13 and verse 12. The end of the verse says, Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Interesting contrast. Abraham moves his tents and builds an altar to the Lord. Lot moves his tents as far as Sodom. Right on the edge of Sodom. And then chapter 13 and verse 18 tells us Abraham is living in a place called Hebron. Hebron in Hebrews means the house of God. In contrast to that, notice Lot. If we move on to verse 12 of chapter 14, notice what it says. And they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. 
You get the progression? He moved his tents over as far as Sodom. Next time we see him, he's living in Sodom. Then look at chapter 19 and verse 1. Notice when we see Lot again what's going on. Chapter 19 and verse 1. God sent two angels who looked just like men who showed up in Sodom. And it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, when you sat in the gate of a city in that day, it meant you were a leader in the city. So he moved his tents as far as Sodom. Then he's living in Sodom. Now he's a leader in Sodom. And look at verse 2 of chapter 19. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house. He's got a house in Sodom. That's interesting. Abraham's living in a tent in Hebron, the house of God. Lot's living in a house in Sodom. And then notice verse 8. And I might, might say this, this is... Genesis 19 is an R-rated chapter. Because these two angels come into Lot's house and the men of the city come and bang on the door and they want to have sexual relations with the two angels. But I want you to notice how Lot responds in verse 8. It says, now behold, he says, now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. That's pretty shocking to me. I mean, here he is, he's got two virgin daughters, and his logic is, I'll give you my two daughters, you can rape them, but don't mess with these two guys. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Lot not only moved near Sodom, lived in Sodom, became a leader in Sodom, he is now thinking like the people of Sodom. See, the angels don't stand for that logic. They, they strike the men blind, then they tell Lot, you need to get out of this place because God's going to destroy it. And I want you to notice one other thing about Lot. Chapter 19 and verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. God says, get out of here, I'm going to destroy the city. And so Lot goes to those nearest to him, his two future sons-in-law, and he says, God told me he's going to destroy this place, we need to get out of here. And they mocked his testimony. Wow. That's what happens when you move near Sodom, you live in Sodom, you get a house in Sodom, you start thinking like the people of Sodom. Then when you try to tell somebody about your faith, they mock you. Meanwhile, Abraham is living in tents, looking for the city of God. In fact, if you look in chapter 19 and verse 29, he's praying for Lot. Now, I find it interesting that Lot doesn't show up in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. Lot's not there, but Lot does show up in the New Testament. And I want you to take your Bibles and look at 2 Peter chapter 2.
2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Peter says, And if he rescued righteous Lot... Say, wait a minute. How can he call Lot righteous? Well, he can call Lot righteous because righteousness is not something we earn. Righteousness is something God gives us by faith. But notice what he says about him. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, verse 8, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. You want a verse to describe how you will experience life if you follow Lot's pattern? If you move over near the world, then start living in the world, then settle down in the world, start thinking like the world and have your testimony destroyed, you will be tormented day after day in your soul. A true believer cannot go into the world and enjoy the world anymore. It will torment you, and that's exactly what happened to Lot. In contrast, it says about Abraham in Genesis 25.8, it says, Abraham died an old man and satisfied with life. I love that phrase. When Abraham died, lived his whole life in a tent, never got the inheritance. When he died, it says he was satisfied with life. Why? Because he lived by faith. I want to close this morning by telling you that you have choices to make. You can be like Abraham, leave the old life behind, step out on a new life by faith, live as a pilgrim in this world, look to the promise of God and be satisfied with life. Or you can be like Lot. Look toward the world, move close to the world, live in the world, become a part of the world, think like the world, and have your testimony destroyed and be miserable with your life. Which example are you going to follow? I'm going to have the praise team come.